This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we welcome to the show the first ever winner of the Flashies Comeback Player of the Year Award, Zach Greer. The National Lacrosse League announced some key dates and very pivotal draft information, and they also announced their three finalists for all the league awards. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome back to the show. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com or hit up the Instagram page at OTCB Podcast. Another gorgeous day here on the island. Temperatures in the low 20s, maybe even mid 20s, depending on where you are. I hope you're all doing well, staying safe, and finding some normalcy. Uh, This week, I got back to teaching yoga. It's the first real work I've been able to do in three months, so that felt great. And just finding that little bit of something to do, just something, has really kind of boosted my spirits this week. So hopefully you're all doing well. Like I said, staying safe, being active, but still heeding the cautions of all that know more than I. Many pro sports are trying to work their way back into normalcy as well. There's talks of hockey, baseball, basketball all coming back next month. But of course, we have PLL Island in Utah just under a month away. Actually, by this time next month, it will be fully underway. And the PLL released their backyard lacrosse campaign. And wow, is it legit. I love the idea. I love the look. I love how they allow the players to use their own voices and personality. um, And everybody gets to kind of chip in here and there. And everybody's different. All their little characters are different. But they all look like the dudes. Um, And like I said, being able to use their voices is fantastic. So kudos to the PLL's creative team and socials team because that's one of the best campaigns the lacrosse industry has ever had. And, you know, everyone's instantly saying we need this to become a game. I think we all want to see a lacrosse game. But I think that's just a a real cool look. The cartoon angle is awesome uh, and just everything about it. So PLL Island coming, but check out uh, the PLL socials for the PLL Backyard Uh, Just a real fun campaign to help get us to Utah. We'll get to Zach Greer in a minute as he is our guest this week and the most recent winner of a Flashies Award. It's named the Comeback Player of the Year by the fine folks over at the Lacrosse Flash. And they are also down to the final two plays in the Plays of the Year Award. It's down to Mark Matthews, Sick, Ridiculous, and Nasty, Toe Drag, Dirty Dangle, Reverse Backhand, Skipping Bounce Shot. Going up against Mr. 300, the big cat Kevin Crowley, one hand behind the back catch, finished for his 300th career NLL goal. 
this will be a heck of a showdown between not just two great players, but two great fan bases that love to show support for their club and their players, and they don't like losing to anybody. So I expect this to be a very heated battle. Go and check out the Lax Flash on Twitter. It's where you can vote, whether it's Kevin Crowley or Mark Matthews. I've placed my vote. It is in a secret ballot, been sent off to the judges. And this has been a heck of a little rundown. Um, It's been great stuff. Uh, For all your lacrosse news, go to thelacrosseflash.com. Check out the team store where you can get all your t-shirts, hats, hoodies, and more. Get yourself a sticker for the side of the car. But the biggest news for lacrosse fans, well, it's been the biggest news indoor lacrosse fans have had for the last little while, has been the release of some very key dates for the National Lacrosse League. And these will kind of get the offseason into full swing. And it all starts with being able to sign practice roster players as the National Lacrosse League has set an initial date of June 29th. So that's just, what, four days from now. Uh, The roster transaction freeze will lift for about 72 hours. Teams can then decide if they want to add their practice players to the full roster or if they want to retain them to the practice roster or just outright release them. So that will last for 72 hours up until July 2nd. At that point, teams can then sign their own players. They can trade players leading up to free agency. Delegation of franchise players has to be done by July 31st. Uh, Designated players will not become unrestricted free agents. And of course, players who are 34 34 years of age or older may reject the franchise player designation. Free agency, which we're all looking forward to, begins August 1st, 2020. Players who qualify for restricted free agency or UFAs may be contacted by and signed with other clubs. Now, this is the big one. And Jake Elliott had been hinting at it on Lax Class And I know a few other people had been talking about this being an actual possibility. The NLL has said effective for the 2020 entry draft. Teams can sign a college player who is going back for that extra fifth year. Sorry, they can draft those players. If they do draft those players and that player does indeed go back for their fifth year, they will hold on to their rights for the following season. So let's just break this down as simple as we can for you. We will use Jeff Teat's name because many people feel that he will be the number one overall pick selected by the New York Riptide, who do indeed have the number one overall pick. If Jeff Teat goes back to Cornell, which he's likely going to do, and New York drafts him, and he doesn't play in the 2021 season, They will retain his rights for the 21-22 season. So that's how that's going to work. So basically, the 21-22 season is going to be an unbelievable year for rookies. Because most teams 
will be able to basically get two first-round draft picks or second rounds or thirds coming into their roster at minimum. Which is kind of wild to think about. And then Devin Caney brought up a point on Twitter on Thursday where she said, think about this. If Jeff Teat going to Cornell plays his year with the Big Red, he gets drafted by New York, but he's playing in college. The moment Cornell is eliminated from competition, whether it be in the conference or in their tournament, whenever he is done, it is possible that he can go right to the Riptides roster. They can sign him and he can start playing. So he may not miss an entire rookie season. So depending on where the Riptide are, like say they're, or let's use any team now, and say any of those teams with first round draft picks this year, pick a guy, he goes to college. But they expect him to be a guy for them and make an immediate impact. And then as the NLL season goes along, that team is in a playoff hunt. And then their top choice or their number one prospect down in NCAA school, his team gets eliminated. Why wouldn't you bring that guy up if he could make a difference for your club? It's not like he's been sitting out doing nothing. And all these guys will be able to step in and play right away. Especially all those high top five, top seven first rounders. Probably the whole first round can step in and play. But that adds a very interesting little caveat to what is going to happen. Because if they don't come back, so say, let's use Jeff Teat again. Say Jeff Teat's Big Red goes all the way to the Final Four, so he may not get used by the Riptide. Then coming into the 21-22 season, they'll have the number one overall pick in Jeff Teat, and then wherever they pick in the first round of that year's draft. So they're going to get two first-rounders coming fresh in the lineup in 21-22 if the guys from this year's draft class don't play. It's a wild scene, man. I, I think you know if, if that's going to be the case, we could probably see maybe the odd case of a guy like Connor Fields where Connor Fields only played a few games last year. I think he played two last year and then got into every game this year and was still considered a rookie. So you may get guys who could play a couple games in the NLL next year, get their feet wet and then come in next year and still have rookie eligibility. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. So here is how the draft order is in the first round. It's basically the standings flip-flopped upside down. First overall is New York, followed by Rochester, Vancouver, San Diego, Calgary, Colorado are your top six. Philadelphia, Georgia, Buffalo, Toronto, Halifax, Saskatchewan, and New England will round out the end of the first round. And I believe... Georgia has New England's first round draft pick. So the number 13 selection will actually be Georgia's. So that's the biggest news out of the National Cross League from this past week. 
the date for the draft and how the draft is all going to go down is still yet to be determined or announced. I know there is plenty of talk about it being um, an online draft. I just I don't see any way, shape, form that they could do this in person. I just, I, I just don't see it being able to happen. And why put people at risk? Just give everybody all the way into September to do their draft prep and all that stuff and then just hold a virtual draft online. It's not, I, I don't think it's that far out of the realm to do. The only hard part is for general managers is, you know, being able to see these kids play one last time, uh, being able to talk to them in person, live face-to-face, shake their hands, and get a good grasp of who they are as a person. So I, general managers this year are going to have a really tough job and um, might be even harder for the New York Riptides general manager because, A, they don't have one, and B, whoever it is, may not have as many irons as the fu- in the fire as some of the other general managers do because they've been at this and prepared and have seen many of these kids before. So uh, the offseason is in full swing, and it kind of gets started on the 29th when teams can designate with their practice players, and then we kind of move on from there, but... Free agency is going to be a very interesting one this year, I have a feeling. And that all begins August 1st. Zach Greer was a huge part of the Edmonton slash Saskatchewan Rush winning formula in their first couple of championship years. And he really took his game to an extra level once he moved on from Minnesota and got in with the rush in 20, eh, once he played a full season in 2012. And he's become one of the most consistent players of just tempo, energy, and consistency. That's why he's consistent, because he's consistent. But he's also just an incredible person to talk to. He has been through a lot. He grew up playing in Whitby, Ontario, one of the greatest minor systems. Uh, the Canadian Lacrosse Association is known the Whitby Warriors. He goes to Duke, one of the most storied college lacrosse programs in the history of the sport. Then there is the Duke rape scandal, which shocked the entire lacrosse world and put Zach in a very tough position because while he lost that final year due to the situation, he, although different, much like many of these kids this year, got a fifth year. And he followed a mentor, a father figure, and his Duke coach, Coach Pressler, all the way to Bryant. And Bryant had been a D2 school, and they were making the jump to D1, and Coach Pressler was in charge of getting that program off the ground. And Zach followed him. And to hear Zach tell the story is quite remarkable because you know there was a lot going into that decision for him. And he did amazing things for Bryant Lacrosse. Uh, at one point he was the NCAA, I believe, single goal scoring leader, maybe points guy. 
don't quote me. But he had an incredible year that final year uh, at Bryant. But it taught him a lot and gave him a lot of things he probably wouldn't have gotten if he would have just been four years and done at Duke. He was the third overall pick in the NLL entry draft back in 2009. He spent a year and a bit with Minnesota before getting shipped off to Edmonton, where he helped that organization go from back to be- or from a one in 15 first year and a bit of a better second year to really changing the culture in Edmonton. And like I said, he was a big part of their championship team in 2015 and 2016 in Saskatchewan. But then he comes to Colorado. And there was a lot of, I don't want to say pressure on Zach, but he was coming into a situation where they were looking for him to make an impact. And that Colorado team in 2017 had a lot of talent out the front door. Crawford, McLaughlin, Noble, Keough, Wardle, Rue, Brad Self at times. Haywires was there. Junior was there for a couple of games. Like, he wasn't coming into a simple offense. He was coming into a highly orchestrated, fast-paced offense. And they wanted him to be the fourth lefty. But unfortunately, over two years, Zach kind of found some injuries. But also, his personal life was skyrocketing for so many amazing reasons. His job was taking off. He was having to move to California and then to Dallas. But also, he was, became a father for the first time and then a second time. And all those pressures add up on pe- people. And all those pressures can hamper how you play and how you are able to mentally prepare. And Zach understood that. And Zach knew that. And Zach knew where his priorities were and they were at home with his three girls. So we took the season off in 2019. But as we all do, he got the itch. He kind of wanted to come back. And there were some opportunities and some chances. And we'll talk about all of those. He's one of my favorite people to talk to and one of my favorite players to watch. The first ever winner of the Comeback Player of the Year Award on the Flashies from Whitby, Ontario and the San Diego Seals. This is Zach Greer. Fields, ducks underneath, gives it off to Greer, pump it, shoots it, scores! Stotts, shot, missed the far corner. Noble, Greer scores! What an extra look from Jeremy Noble on the quick reset. Here's Buchanan. Greer the backside, what a finish! What a feed! Two goals in just over a minute 30 in San Diego. Is feeling joined now by Zach Greer of the San Diego Seals and also a winner of the Flashies for the NLL Comeback Player of the Year. Zach, how are you, my man? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having um, me. No worries. Have you ever won an award more important than the Flashies Comeback Player of the Year award? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I don't like to compare those types of things, to be honest with you, but. Uh, yeah, pretty fired up. My brother was actually the first one to uh, to share it with me, so that was cool. And um, yeah, um, I'm pretty excited about it. How was the year off for you? When when you know you were with Colorado in 2018, you decided to step away. Um, you, you work, family, life kind of just took precedence. 
Um, what was that year like for you? Yeah, it was really strange, honestly. Um, you know, for anybody who might not know the backstory there, we were moving from, from California to Texas. My wife was seven and a half months pregnant and, um, you know, new town, new city, no family, second kid on the way. It was just like chaos, new job. Um, and so I was just, just so busy on, on a number of different fronts that, didn't have a lot of time to think about it, to be honest with you. Um, when I wasn't working, I was spending time with the family and, and kind of focused there. And so uh, it was it was strange, uh, for sure, not playing lacrosse and not being around the boys and on the planes and, you know, in the locker room and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I had other other areas in my life that I had to focus on. And um, we got through it and, and um, you know, ended up uh, getting, getting the itch a little bit at the the back half of that when we got things settled and we made some friends and, you know, things that go into having kids, like not having family support here. So, you know, finding babysitters and all that stuff. Once we got settled in our, our new roots in the ground here, um, you know, started to get the itch a little bit to try to get back in shape and, and pick up my stick again. Where exactly are you in Texas? Are you right in Dallas? Yes, I'm about 45 minutes north. Um, and I actually live in a town called Prosper and work in Frisco, which is, uh, more notable, uh, we're in a pretty mm-hmm. small town, but about 15 minutes from Frisco, which is where actually the Dallas Rattlers played out of uh, the Cowboys uh, world headquarters there. So I played on that team for, for a couple summers um, while I was here. But, yeah, we're about 45 minutes north of Dallas. How far is Fort Worth from you? Uh, we're about uh, maybe an hour from Fort Worth. So I'm straight north, and uh, Fort Worth is, is west of the city, just on the other side of the airport there. So probably about an hour away. Is is it a is there a lot of lacrosse in that area? It's growing. Uh, I look at it probably like a you know a California you know in the sense Nevada maybe in the sense that it's um, it's growing here or has been you know had that run of, of like ten years like a lot of the kind of bigger non traditional markets did. Um, but uh, it's not it's not overwhelming. I mean football dominates in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. There's no question about that, and, and baseball. Um, but there's a lot of kids playing, um, you know, playing lacrosse. And actually, even in my neighborhood, I see kids at the park and, you know, some, some people with some nets in the backyards and stuff. So it's definitely here, uh, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's not going to compare to your traditional, you know, East yeah. Coast, Mid-Atlantic hotbeds. Do you walk by and start sniping quarters of kids' backyard goals at all? No, I haven't done that yet. Most of them are fenced, <laughs> most of them are fenced in, but I do get, get the urge, you know, with the kids at the school down the street, um, you know, to go down there and throw, throw some wall ball around. And then uh, a couple of my neighbors have boys. And so I actually gifted them some sticks, you know, a couple of weeks ago and have been playing in my backyard a little bit and stuff. So, yeah, it's been it's been fun. It's fun to see. And, you know, my daughters are starting to pick up the stick now and stuff, too. So, yeah, it's fun to see kids playing. What was playing in, in Jerry's world like? Obviously, you weren't in right in, you know, Cowboy Stadium, but you're at the practice facility. How awestruck were you with just the size of everything of an NFL organization? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's what you would expect. It's, it's world class in every sense of the term. Um, everything is, is pristine, um, you know, super tight security. Um, they, they, they've thought of everything. And so, like, not just the stadium, which is, you know, gorgeous indoor climate controlled 13,000 feet stadium, um, but it's attached to an entertainment district with a ton of restaurants and bars. And, um, you know, there's a kind of a Cowboys Hall of Fame in there. And actually my office, 
um, within the corporate building that they have attached to it too. So literally could walk, you know, from my office. And that's where I met the, the president of the team, actually, when they, the MLL first announced the team was coming, I, I just walked out from my office and was like, Hey, I, I know that guy. What's going on over there? But, uh, it's, it's a cool setup. I mean, he does everything right. And there's a ton of money in there, but, uh, just, yeah, a beautiful, beautiful complex. And how did they take to the MLL? Uh, the first year was pretty good. Um, yeah. the fan support was pretty good and grew as the season went along and, and, you know, we had a really good team and it went to a run to, to the finals there. Um, the second year was, was tough just with, you know, kind of how everything transpired with the PLL and all that. And, um, I don't know. I, I think it's still difficult, like, uh, just playing in the summer when, when people in Texas are, are not here. You know, a lot of people mm. playing lacrosse are either gone on the weekends to travel into the East coast to play in tournaments or, you know, they're, they're out of the heat cause it can be 110 degrees outside. And so a lot of people vacation in Colorado and, or go up to Michigan and, and stuff like that. And so I don't know, timing, I think is, uh, is really tough. And one of the factors that, um, you know, the MLL is always going to have to battle. Absolutely. This has been a, a tough three months since, uh, uh, the NLL and sports worldwide said, let's stop what have you been doing with yourself yeah it's been weird right i think uh you know kind of don't know what to do um i've been really busy at work which is a positive and a a negative in some respects but you know having that to focus on and then just taking advantage of you know spending time with my family i'm not traveling on the weekends and typically i travel a lot during the week for work too so being home more uh, it's giving me a chance to enjoy them at a young age my daughters are you know five and, and two and a half now so spending time with them and yeah, you know, keep my, my stick in my hand a little bit, playing some golf as well when I can, when I can jump away. But, uh, otherwise, yeah, just trying to stay to, to some respectable level of, of fitness and, um, stay, stay healthy and enjoy the time with the family. Well, we know that if you take a year off, you'll be fine coming back next year. So that's okay. Don't strain yourself <laughs> during these few months. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Did uh did Govett give you a call to come play uh, Pebble Beach or Torrey Pines, whatever those guys played last month? Did he give you a call to come and no. join you? No, I didn't get the invite to that one, unfortunately. Mm. Um, yeah, Tough. it's weird. Weird, right? Weird. Yeah. But uh, I did uh, did get out with a couple of the boys one weekend, but maybe a couple weekends actually. We played uh, played some golf down there, but uh, yeah, we'll see what the future holds. Um, It'd be nice to nice to get out while I'm down there and uh, spend a Sunday or something out uh, on the links, you know, on the ocean there. Not a bad setup for those guys. It's not. I, I got to spend 24 hours in San Diego when uh, I had to call a game for you guys against Rochester. You stayed right in the right at the marina there. Um, what a fantastic spot! What did you really enjoy about the San Diego lifestyle while you were down there? I love the ability. Yeah, you're right. I, I love the ability to be outside almost you know, 90% of the time and know that the weather's going to be, you know, comfortable. And and it's not as hot as everybody thinks, but it it doesn't get cold very often. And um, you can plan in advance and you can get outdoors and be active and be healthy and sit on patios and obviously the beach and and just the lifestyle there. Pretty laid back, but uh, but it's also pretty active in the same, uh, you know, same vein. So, um, yeah, just the the climate and the, the people and the, the, the atmosphere there is, is, uh, makes you pretty comfortable when you're there. It must have felt pretty nice to be playing in a warm climate as opposed to Colorado, Minnesota, Edmonton, and Saskatoon. Yeah, no doubt. That was a, uh, a vast change, you know, packing my bag on Thursday nights or whatever it is, right, before the, the Friday flights. 
and not having to figure out where like my park is going to go and, <laughs> and, you know, hats and gloves and all of that stuff. And my heavy suit jacket and all of that was, uh, was nice. You know, it's a small little carry on and, and you're on your way. So yeah, not complaining about that piece of it. No, absolutely not. The one thing I really like about your team and even going back to last year when it was an expansion club, um, the job that Steve and Pat and, and your brother Bill and Shoots have done in creating an incredible locker room dynamic. Um, how special is that group? Because I think everybody understands what they were going through that first year and how special that first year was. And then you translated this, you guys got off to a bit of a slow start. Audi comes back, you guys start rolling. How special is that dynamic in this? Yeah, no, you nailed it. You really did. I think the culture that they have built there and, and you know, the standards they've set um, are really a, a big part of the success that we had in the, the second half of, uh, well, of the shortened season there. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people forget that, you know, there was maybe 10, nine or 10 at least, like, new roster guys, you know, going into the year. And so obviously they had a lot of success in year one, but there were also some significant changes in the off season. And, um, you know, obviously injuries, Casey Jackson and, and Adi out, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, so it took us a while to, to find our groove. And I think, you know, you, you know, the drill and, and people listening, lacrosse players know that, you know, that the chemistry can be such a big, you know, piece of the puzzle and, um, and it just took a little bit of time to get used to playing with different guys and, you know, who was going to, you know, be the voice and who do you turn to? And obviously, you know, like a guy like Doss through the first year and, and, you know, Billings, you know, a guy that has been around for a long time and leaders like that and stuff. And, you know, guys have the ball in their stick. And so it was just a, a completely different dynamic. Um, but I think, again, that goes back to, like you said, the culture, the staff, um, and the way they, they navigate the players and the, and the players that we did have there, um, you know, were, were willing to grind through it and put the energy in and, and um, you know, and welcome guys like me in and Bergie and Chair and, you know, um, and figure it out together. Um, and so it was really exciting to be a part of that um, because I don't think anybody really knew what to expect from us. I don't think we knew what to expect, but, um, you know, Patty and the staff demands a, a certain level of excellence and, uh, and I think you started to see that pay off a little bit as we uh, we progressed throughout the season. What was the dynamic like between you and brother Bill? I know he's at the other end of the bench, but uh, did you ever get the, the older brother glare from time to time? Uh, not too much. No, we, I mean, we got a pretty fun, uh, pretty fun relationship because we're, you know, we grew up, but we didn't grow up in the same house the whole time. Uh, so we share the same dad and, uh, and a different mom actually, but um, we, when we, when we were together growing up, we were always like best buddies because we didn't see each other all that often. Right. So, right. um, you know, I've always looked up to him. He's, he's been an incredible mentor for me and, and we just really try to enjoy it. Um, so, you know, whether that was off the field or at the hotel and just, you know, catching up and talking about the family and, you know, reminiscing about our dad and, you know, all that good stuff. And, you know, I think my favorite, you know, or some of my favorite moments anyways, were you know, after scoring a big goal or something and him, you know, you know, coming up behind me, sneaking up on me and, and give me a big hug or a slap on the helmet or something was, uh, was pretty fun uh, to experience this year. Cause we really haven't had a lot of opportunity to, to play together. I think it was about six games in Edmonton back in the day when I got traded right. in my first year. And then he signed in Toronto the following year. Um, and then in junior, we, we were five years apart. So we only played together, you know, a handful of games when I was a call up. So yeah, it was, it was pretty special this year for sure. Being, being around him. And you get Josh Sanderson as your O coach. That's not a, a tough sell either. Um, when he is controlling that huddle, is, is there anybody not listening? 
No, I mean, absolutely not. I think, you know, anybody who's been around the game long enough knows that. Um, and, and you know, commands and deserves, you know, respect. And so, um, you know, he, the way he played the game and the way he approaches the game, um, you know, in, in terms of his preparation, it just everybody else wants to follow, right, and wants to be doing everything they absolutely can to, to perform for, for him. And in the whole staff, all of those guys, um, you know, again, they put in the work and they believe in it and they're passionate about it. And it makes you want to do the same thing and it, and it holds guys accountable. So, um, it, it was fun. It, it was a lot of fun being around him. Obviously, I, I haven't, you know, spent a lot of time with Shooter over the years, just kind of cross paths with him now and then. But to obviously, admired him uh, from a distance and, and, and the way he played the game and, and you know the way he coached was, was a lot of fun to be around. You saw firsthand the, the triumvirate of Patty Coyle, Chris Gill, and Dan Stroop. How was the relationship of of Shooter, Patty Merrill, and Billy? Were they were they just as jovial and and ball busting with each other as the Colorado guys were? Yeah, it's a different different dynamic for sure, but um, you know, different styles a little bit, but both you know really uh, tight knit groups, and uh, and both you know again a lot of fun to be around and guys that you just you just have the utmost respect for, um, you know, in terms of chirping each other and, and giving guys a hard time. I, I think it's there. I think um, you know maybe when you get to the rink, there's a little bit less of that uh, in San Diego, maybe just in terms of you know, kind of the seriousness um, that, that Patty brings to the table and, and Shooter, too. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I got nothing but good things to say about, about both of those groups and uh, just, just you know, good people, first and foremost, which I think you, you obviously see a lot of that in lacrosse. Um, great to be around and, and, you know, both groups of coaching staff that I, that I learned a lot from and kind of, you know, if you want to label it the, the second half of my, you know, career after moving on from the, the SAF Edmonton organization. Now, when, when we talk about, you know, this year is no more, so now we have to look forward to next year. And, and it's, it's, you know, you're saying, you know, got to keep yourself in somewhat shape. Um, how hard was it to get back to game shape after a year off last year? And what was the focus for you? Yeah, you know, it, it wasn't, it honestly wasn't that hard. Um, just in the sense that, you know, once I kind of finally made the decision, it was, all right, I got to flip a switch and I got to go. I don't want to embarrass myself here. And so um, I definitely stepped up, um, you know, my game a little bit. I had a year to heal too. Like I had nagging kind of annoying injuries um, coming out of, out of the time in Colorado. And so a year to rehab and I did spend a lot of time rehabbing um, and then uh, kind of hired a, uh, you know, personal trainer working at a facility called Exos and they train a bunch of pro athletes um, here in town. So uh, I was in there twice a week, working out in the garage twice a week, and then uh, had my stick, and I got a net set up in the backyard. So uh, once I finally made the decision, I, I, you know, I had been thinking about it a little bit, but honestly didn't didn't plan to play and, and didn't plan to come back. And um, and then you know once I kind of finally said, all right, let's let's do this thing, and you know my wife was on board and supportive, and, and obviously spent a lot of time talking to my brother about it. It was. Uh, I think when I when I know that there's something coming, I can I can flip the switch mentally and, and mm-hmm. you know really just find a way to dedicate myself to what I need to do to be prepared. So um, it wasn't too challenging. Obviously, a lot of work, but it wasn't it wasn't difficult because I, I wanted to do it and wanted to make sure I didn't get out there and embarrass myself. When you found out you were traded from Colorado to to San Diego, was that the domino that kind of started the idea of wanting to come back to play, or were you already thinking about it before that? Yeah, I think that probably started the dominoes. Um, 
you know, Billy and, and Patty had, had been, I knew there was a little bit of interest there. Right. Obviously, mm-hmm. but I just wasn't in a position to commit and there was still a lot of variables in play and, and work, you know, situations that I was dealing with. And right. so I, I just didn't know. Um, and, uh, and then once the trade happened, it was kind of like, I got the call and it was like, well, you know, we had to do it. Um, otherwise it was just going to, you know, get more complicated. And I, I think that was pre-draft if I remember correctly. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it was right, it was right around the draft. And, and yeah, kind of, yeah, we got to, we, we had to do it, um, to, to get it done. And so that was like, okay, you know, if I'm going to play, I'm, I'm with my brother. And that was really the only scenario that I was going to, that I was going to play. Um, and so then it started to be like, all right, maybe a little more realistic, but it wasn't, you know, that wasn't the, the tipping point by any means. Just, it, it was the other variables that I was dealing with in the, the personal side of things with the family and, and work and a lot of the travel that I, I have to do during the week is it, just tough being away, you know, four or five days a week sometimes when you got young kids. So, um, it was more about that than it was really anything else to be honest. You've still got some miles left in those young legs of yours, but how much? How many more miles <laughs> does uh, Austin put in your legs? Because that kid is a ball full of energy that never seems to stop. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen uh, or played with anyone that that has more energy on a consistent basis. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, it, it really was. And that whole group, that offensive group, was so mm-hmm. so different, you know, to play with just in in the sense that, you know, we had been in, in some structured systems in, in SAS and, um, you know, and, and my performance in Colorado wasn't, you know, up to where I would have liked it to be. And then just kind of getting, a, honestly, a fresh start a little bit. And, and with the energy that he brings and, you know, uh, the, the righties and them flying around and, and love playing with Bucky too, you know, a guy that I'd played against my entire life and, um, and you know, Casey coming back. And so just, yeah, I mean, just getting to – Spent some time with those guys. I learned a ton from Shooter about how to, you know, really play on the left side only in the two-man game where, you know, a lot of what we did, you know, previously in my career, I would always kind of work and then turn and, and kind of get the ball from the right side. Um, but we did a lot on that left side and just a different style that I hadn't really played played before. So when you got a guy like Adi, you know, who commands so much attention and brings so much energy and, and the way Casey was playing and um, – you know, and then Fieldsy too, right? Came on. Mm-hmm. And he's such a, a creative talent, and things that he can do with the ball. That just playing with those guys was was a ton of fun for me. Being, you know, being the old guy, um, <laughs> and just trying to to do my part to chip in and, and navigate around those guys was a blast. How tough was it for your entire group to get the call that the season wasn't going to continue? Because you guys were you'd won five in a row. You climbed into a playoff spot. You're playing the best ball you'd done all season to get that call. Might, had to have been pretty disappointing for everybody. Yeah, it really was heartbreaking. Uh, I just, and, and it, you know, it, I think it's worse just on how, uh, what our record looked like in the first half of that season, right? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know what it was, but we were one and five or yeah. one and five, one and six, yeah. right? It's like, you're basically out of it at that point and nobody gave up, right? And we dug in harder and we dug in more and, and guys just committed to the process and it paid off. You know, and then you get back into into the place where you're playing really good lacrosse, and we had a couple big wins, and momentum's going our way, and you never know. We sneak into the playoffs, you never know what happens. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it was it was really tough, and just you know, given what everybody had had you know put in, and and I know I don't want to speak for anybody else, but you know, I, I'm even in the same boat, right? Is this just a one year thing? Am I you know, 
it's a lot of travel and this and that. It's like to, to end that way uh, was, was tough for, for everybody, I think. The NCAA is giving players uh, an extra fifth year for, for the ones that missed it. For most of them, obviously, there's some issues with Ivy League and all that. But you were afforded a, a fifth year, and you took the opportunity to go to Bryant. How special was that extra year for you? Yeah, it was it was it was really special. I mean, uh, obviously, the backstory there with Coach Pressler, who was the mm-hmm. coach at Duke, and then moved up to Bryant. It was the first year Division One, you know, moving up the ranks and. Um, and really, I don't know that I've, I've really told that story in detail to many people, but, um, it was really a mental thing for me. And just like a lot had transpired, you know, obviously, uh, in 2006 with the Duke team and, um, you know, just far away from family. And, you know, my dad had passed away my freshman year at Duke. And so I was just ready to, to find, you know, I just, I don't know, mentally at that point in my life needed something else. Um, and to do it with coach Pressler, who, who was kind of like a, a father figure to me after my dad had passed and yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. And, and the other piece of it is I got an MBA out of it, which I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Um, so to have that on my resume has, has been uh, really valuable to me, honestly. Um, you know, obviously in the professional uh, corporate world that we live in now during the week. And um, so it, it was, it was awesome. It was different than I think what other kids are facing now. Um, you know, people, uh, transferring from big school to big school and, and stuff like that. Like I, I'm going to, I was, I had a different reason and was in a different place in my life at that time. But um, I think it is, you can't get those years back. So to, for those kids to have a, a chance to do it and, and continue to compete and, and finish out their careers and whatever path they choose. I think that's what I would encourage people to remember is that every kid, situ- every, every kid's situation is different and personal life's different and all that. Like just, you know, support the kids and what they want to do and, um, let them play whatever their motivation is. And, and you know, um, I don't think we can complain about the way it's, it's shaken out. So hopefully it works out for, for those guys. One last one for you. During this uh, crazy time, everyone's been doing everything they can to stay fit, bring people together, get the community together. Um, last May or in May, you had a, a Miles for My Community um, walk race uh, event that just kind of brought people together to help raise the money. How'd the event go? And, and can people still donate and help out? Yeah, it went really well. Um, it was uh, my, you know, my job during the week. We are a software, sports software business primarily. We also run events and, and create content, and, and that was one of the initiatives that we we were trying to chip in and, and do our part. And so, you know, the the goal is to raise funds for uh, youth sports organizations who've been impacted and didn't have the ability to, to play sports and were kind of, you know, struggling like a lot of people were, and, and then certainly the the frontline workers as well. So. Um, it, it went really well. We, we've got a, a really large audience in the youth sports space and millions of, uh, millions of people are, are using our software around the country and around the world. And, um, you know, so that, that, uh, initiative has ended, but I do believe we, we've got another one in the pipeline. Um, and so, yeah, our, our website, stacksports.com, uh, can check that out there. But, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to be a part of that and see people rally around the cause and, and support youth sports, which is obviously, uh, done a lot for so many of us in our, in our lives. Zach, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, I hope you get to get out and, and work the sticks a little more. Uh, get that iron game sharp because I know I have a feeling she's going to call you for a round one of these days. He deserves it. You deserve it. And uh, I hope you and the family are well. So ahead of the girls and uh, stay safe. All right. Yeah, I appreciate that. Give Steve a nudge for me. But uh, yeah, I appreciate appreciate the call, Teddy. Great catching up with you. Thanks for having me on. Can you imagine playing field lacrosse in Jerry's world down in Dallas? 
had to have been a pretty cool experience as a member of the Dallas Rattlers. That was Zach Greer, current member of the San Diego Seals. He's played for Team Canada both indoors and out. And just a, a, a just one of those guys that understands that there's more to life than lacrosse and understands and has worked at balancing the priorities at home with life on the road and a job that keeps him on the road. So thanks to Zach for stopping by and giving us some time. You probably could have given that Flashies Award to anybody out that front door of the San Diego Seals. Uh, Wes Berg had taken the year off due to contract issues with Calgary. Uh, Casey Jackson missed a lot of the season with concussion issues. We know everything that went Austin Stotts went through. But to give it to Zach Greer was, was a great choice. He won out on voting. It wasn't just we picked him. He won out on votes, rightfully so. But I think everybody on our list was a member of the San Diego Seals because they just had they had so many guys come back from off years and injuries. And even Zach had struggled his last couple or his two years in Colorado. A lot of that was due to injuries. And even Jeremy Noble had a tough year in Colorado. And then that trade that sent Noble and Greer to San Diego just kind of sparked them. You know, they, they found a little bit of energy. Uh, they found a little bitterness because of the trade. Uh, I know Jeremy was, wasn't too thrilled that it happened, but sports is a business and these things have to happen. And you can take it kicking and screaming or you can take it in strut. And I kind of think, you know, Noble took it kicking and screaming a bit. Zach kind of took it in stride and that's just age and, and Noble had never been through it before. Zach had kind of been traded uh, a couple times, so he understood what it meant. And again, Noble was also was in a bit of a different situation because, you know, he, he went to school in Denver. He was a massive fan favorite in Denver. Uh, he really felt like that was going to be his team to take over for years to come. But again, life got in the way for Jeremy Noble, and there were just some distractions that took his mind away from giving lacrosse 100%. And it hurt his on-floor play. And fresh start in San Diego really helped him refine himself refine or just find himself you can't refine unless you lose something twice he only lost it once we so just found himself um but uh, zach's been on the show a few times so i just always love catching up with him he always has some great stories uh so i want to thank him for his time as always as i mentioned off of the top the national lacrosse league has announced their finalists for all of their National Lacrosse League awards. And you might have some surprises in there. You might agree. You might not agree. But that is pretty much the whole point of what awards are. No one's ever going to agree. You're not going to make everybody happy. But the votes are tabulated. They are calculated. They are added up. They are vetted. They are confirmed. And then they're processed. And this is what you get. For the NLL Rookie of the Year, your top three finalists are Tyson Gibson, Andrew Q, Connor Fields. Defensive player, Graham Hossett, Kyle Rubish, 
Robert Hope. Transition, Challen Rogers. Kyle Matisse, Zach Courier. Goalie of the Year, Dougie Jamison, Dylan Ward, Zach Higgins. MVP, Shane Jackson, Callum Crawford, Rob Hellier. Sportsmanship Award, Lyle Thompson, Curtis Knight, Kyle Buchanan. Teammate of the Year, Mike Poulin, John Rannigan, Dan Dawson. Coach, Paul Day, Glenn Clark, Mike Accursi. GM, Paul Day, Rich Lisk as a member of the New England Black Wolves, and Jamie Dalek. Media, the Borelli Award, Craig Rubzinski, Jake Elliott, and myself, and the Executive of the Year Award, John Catalano in Halifax, Rich Lisk with the Black Wolves, and Matt Hutchings of the Colorado Mammoth. So those are your top three finalists for all of the league awards, and those awards will be announced in five days' time. Wednesday, July 30th, the National Lacrosse League Awards will be unveiled. Um, my winners, uh, just to play along, I'm going to go Andrew Q, Graham Hosick, Kyle Matisse for transition, Dougie J for goalie, I'll never doubt him again, Callum Crawford MVP, Curtis Knight for sportsman, Dan Dawson, teammate. Glenn Clark, head coach. Paul Day, general manager. Craig Rybzinski for the Borelli. And John Catalano for executive of the year. Those are my votes. Those are the winners that I deemed fit. Let's see how it all turns out in the end. June 30th. I may have said July 30th a while ago, um, but it's not. It's June 30th, five days from now, NLL Awards. If you need more information on anything, hit me up, drop me a line, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Um, check out lacrosseflash.com, podcasts, interviews, everything you need, and more, including swag. Shirts, hats, hoodies, stickers. Get them at the team store and just become either a big team guy or a big team girl, whichever you want. Whichever you are, we got a shirt for you. We are a couple days away from team signing practice roster players. We are just over a month away from free agency. And we are less than a month away from PLL Island and the PLL Championship Series in Utah. we got good things in the works for you the next couple of weeks. Stay safe. Keep smiling. Drop me an email. Hit me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar. Find me on the Instagram page at OTCB Podcast. And as always, be excellent to each other.